The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Doc Shaner, penciler of Future Quest, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the cigarette at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 255. It's a holofoil landmark issue, oh my god, (laughs) where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 18th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter and when I'm not putting the finishing touches on my Betsy Braddock cosplay just in time for the X-Men Apocalypse red carpet, I'm writing the comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not enlarging the boob window on my Ninja Psylocke cosplay, I'm trying to relive my glory days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our in-depth reviews of Future Quest number one and Civil War number zero. After that, we're going to review ten more of this week's comics faster than LeBron James can try and outrun a squad of trained raptors during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the TA and Sanctum Sanctorum, where the ghost of Sean Cassidy and John Proudstar will be reviewing the X-movie from beyond the grave and talking with us about our must-read picks for next week's comics. And finally, Miss Casey Bomb returns to tell you all about the subtle differences and nuances between the latest Captain America Civil War movie and the first Marvel Comics Civil War when Casey explains it all. But... Before we steal ourselves for our next movie with no Wolverine, let's take a quick measurement of our Ghostbusters excitement level after this latest trailer. Joe? I'm feeling good. Uh, I, you know, well, it's going to be fine. Yeah, Everybody needs to I feel calm like down. they tried to make this trailer like scary and funny. I'm like, mm, whatever. And then we'll talk about this week's big news! I'm going for it. Warner Brothers has reorganized its DC based films under a new quote unquote. DC Films Banner. That's a good name, I guess. Yeah, good enough. Led by Jeff Johns and John Berg. I don't know who that is. This is according to The Hollywood Reporter. As a part of this deal, the duo have been added as producers on the upcoming Justice League movies. It's described as, quote, an attempt to course correct Warner's comic book movies, end quote. This is an evolution of Johns' role in fostering DC's TV projects, Berg has served as one of several producers on the recent and upcoming films. Matt, can the WB creating their own version of Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios save their cinematic universe? Well, I just don't know. And I had this talk with a good buddy of mine this week. We were sitting there and he doesn't read a lot of comics, but he does watch Arrow and he watches The Flash and he likes them both very much. And he's really upset. Like it really bothered him that Grant Gustin and Stephen Amell are not going to be these characters in the Justice League movie. In fact, there was a little bit of uh, they talked to Greg Berlanti this week, who is the producer of all these shows that everybody loves so much. And they talked about the possibility of him coming on board to direct the Flash movie because the director that they had. Uh, walked away from the project or DC fired him or yeah, whatever. That's a good sign. Whatever happened. <laughs> they parted ways. And Greg Berlanti said, Grant Gustin is my flash, period. I'm not interested. I see. I don't get it. It's it just all this stuff. It, it, is it just me or is DC course correcting every week now on a weekly basis oh, all across the board? Yes. <laughs> Let me pause it to you in, in this way. Is it better to have DC try something that everybody hates and, and immediately say, oh, 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 and then try to fix it. Right. Or is it better to wait years down the line no. for the inevitable reboot? That, of course, I, that I totally agree with that statement. But I mean, why? I, I know I know how it looks. It just seems like a few weeks ago they were like, ha, there you go. Batman versus Superman naysayers. We put the movie out. We made five hundred million dollars. Smoke it. You were all wrong. And now they're like, we're going to fix it. Don't worry. <laughs> These two guys are also supposed to act as a conduit to Ben Affleck, whose role has grown tremendously from at first being just the Batman actor to becoming the director of the upcoming solo film and producer of the Justice League movies. 
we know Ben Affleck is a nerd. We know that he legitimately likes this stuff and maybe him getting more control of this is a good thing. I don't really know. This all sounds nice, but like you're just now giving DC their own like film company. Come on, Warner Brothers. Well, I mean, what the Man? Warner Brothers Studios is a film company, right? But, so the Hollywood Reporter also made reference to a bunch of other shakeups that are happening within Warner Brothers Studios. And it seems like they're kind of divvying things up by franchise. Like, right. So like there's a Lego movie group and a mm-hmm. Ninjago group. I don't know what the hell, oh, whatever. Good. A Harry Potter right. you know, franchise group. And I know that's all very cynical marketing garbage to kind of think about it in those terms. But to have a, a people or to have a, a guy or two guys, at least one of whom is very dedicated to the comic book franchises be responsible for charting that course. I think it's a better thing to have it than to not have it. No, I agree. It sounds like they're handing it to the nerds, which is good. That's what Marvel did. It worked out very well for Marvel. With that said, DC has gone back to the same pool of these guys three times now to relaunch their comic book universe. And we haven't been real happy with that. We'll yeah, see with rebirth, true. but and, and Jeff Johns, I mean, I have in the past loved Jeff Johns, but I have to recognize that a lot of the directions that the company has taken, presumably while he has a very strong say in the matter. Yeah, I would guess have, have not been okay with me and maybe he's not the final decision maker, but he was in the room, you know, he had input and yet we still got the crap fest. That was the last two Superman movies. Yeah. And we still got the new 52 and we still got all of these things that people are so angry with DC about, but we will see it. it, it, They are saying that Johns will continue to be DC's uh, chief creative officer. And there was no mention of Zack Snyder's involvement in the ongoing DC cinematic universe. Doesn't upset me at all. Or whether or not there will be any creative adjustments made to any of the films that are already in production. I'm not saying I want a dude to get fired, but I don't want Zack Snyder steering my DC cinematic Uh, universe. I definitely don't need him there anymore. Certainly. So I'm choosing to view this as a positive step, but we're going to have to just be cautiously optimistic and wait and see what tone these movies strike now that they've kind of taken this left turn. And I know we say this every week, but man, is this sure does seem like more like mess on the garbage heap. That is DC comics right now. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, how, how, how many times can you paint over the same like barn that's falling down before you just have to build a new barn? I totally agree. That's a weird metaphor, but that analogy work. I guess I think it kind of works right (laughs) in Marvel alien news. According to bleeding cool. Hasbro has registered the term dire wraiths as a trademark for comics. Say what? The alien race was created for the ROM, the Space Knight comic book licensed from the Parker Brothers action figure. The dire wraiths have turned up in many other titles, even when Marvel was no longer allowed to use the ROM character from the X-Men all the way to Annihilation. But the wraiths also appeared in the recent ROM free comic book day prelude published by idw though they looked very very different okay joe if marvel created and owns the dial rates specifically bill mantlo created them what is hasbro up to does marvel even care enough to fight it and are we just gonna see dial rates all over the place now <laughs> I, I don't know man let's do this let's go to the original rom space night commercial on tv yeah okay now i, I watched i watched the rom commercial okay well i have not and now through the magic of youtube i transport you to 1979 this is rom the space knight you can imagine he comes from another galaxy with his flashing neutralizer activate rom you can imagine he has rockets to blast into space and a translator that communicates with lights and sounds you can even imagine his respirator lets him breathe in any atmosphere rom comes with the three plug-in accessories shown nine volt battery not included rom what a ripoff an electronic toy new from parker brothers little known fact that is young aaron myers in the rom commercial (laughs) i don't know if you guys knew that no mention of the diorates there. From what I understand, there's no mention of the diorates on the box or the packaging either. Um, I could not confirm or deny that it is on the box because I could not find a big enough enlargement of the text. If somebody knows, lay it on us. But I did confirm that the diorates are name dropped 
in the 1979 Toy Fair promo video that Hasbro showed to uh, retailers or whoever goes to Toy Fair to, to buy toys. Right. And so, like, it is without a doubt, boom, in the commercial, Rom and his evil alien enemies, the evil magicians, the dire wraiths. So let's play lawyers. We know which we're really good at. We're yeah, we definitely we are know internet comic book lawyers. Not many people know that about us. We know that toy came first. Toy was from Hasbro. Hasbro came to Marvel and said, make a comic book about our toy. Right. And they probably provided character designs uh, for certain bits and pieces. Bill uh, Mantlo, we know did that, That's also according to the ROM wiki page. So I'm wondering if it's sort of like what they did with the transformers where, or GI Joe, or they came to Marvel and said, we're bringing these characters. We're bringing these characters from Japan to America and they had Denny O'Neill and whoever else, like he invented the name Optimus Prime. Well, I think Rom was probably the first time they did this for toys and stuff. And they probably looked at that deal and went, we can do G.I. Joe and Transformers. Just but like this it. is what I'm saying. I'm saying maybe ha- maybe Marvel like came up with some of the lore. Oh, OK. Yes, I agree that. But Hasbro owns the lore. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, like Marvel doesn't own the name Optimus Prime, even though Denny O'Neill came up with it and it first appeared in a Marvel comic book. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? No. Okay. I agree with that. So at the end of the day, what it comes down to is how was the trademark treated? Does Marvel own any part of it because someone did work for higher stuff under well, them? Well, Marvel thinks they so, own it and IDW thinks they own is it. Is Bill Mantlo getting paid or I mean, I mean that fat diet wraith cash. <laughs> it's gotta now, be. Hasbro has got to be doing this because didn't they mention is Rom part of the mask G.I. Joe Micronauts? I don't know. I don't either. I feel like he was initially mentioned in there. I think he must be Hasbro, right? Yeah. I think he was initially mentioned in there, but then they sort of didn't mention it again more recently when they started talking about mask and all this other stuff coming back. So I don't know if they went, oh, there's some weird legal rights here. Maybe this is them testing the water. there There is no legal question about who owns Rom. Right. It's only it's only this dire wraith component. No, that's so, what I'm saying. Maybe they're testing the waters here to see how far they can push it. Somebody on the Periscope has a has just made a good point. Whenever there's this this sort of legal entanglement with the right amount of cash, these companies are always willing to hash this sort of, of stuff course. out. Of course. Like, do you think Marvel really gives a if they hold on to the to the name dire wraiths? Like, the last time the dire wraiths appeared, I think, was Annihilation, and that was years ago, seven years ago. And then before that, they made a handful of appearances in like. The new warriors and X-Men, like they fought like a uh, forge fought them or something. So I don't or no, uh, there's that very famous like, cliffhanger page drawn by John Romita Jr. Where a dire wraith, a fat blobby dire wraith, like corners storm in an alley. Right. So I don't know. I, I don't know if Marvel even really cares, to be honest. Like they didn't care enough to pick Rom back up. Yeah. I mean, they still have the space knights there. They can do whatever they want with. But who cares without Rom? Well, the they have the space knights and like the the name of the planet they're from but it said right there in the commercial too that it, he was rom the space knight yeah so who knows it's more it's, it's just a tangled web god who knew that flash forward you know to the year 2016 we'd still be talking about rom and the legal rights are so nebulous and no one knows what's going on somebody knows what's going on okay. we just don't know so i just posted on our lay it on us in the for on our lay on a section of the forums anyone know if the rates are mentioned on the rom packaging hit us we don't know all right enough of this legal jibber jabber let's take it to the hardwood nba legend and former la laker and star of both game of death and airplane you added that didn't i you? did because i love those movies <laughs> kareem abdul jabbar the big fella himself is writing a new comic book about sherlock holmes wait what <laughs> more specifically the book will focus on Sherlock's often overlooked but supposedly smarter older brother, Mycroft Holmes, which is even weirder. I think it's Minecraft Holmes. Minecraft, <laughs> Minecraft Holmes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Matt, did you know about this secret side of Captain Kareem? Here's the thing about Kareem. Every time someone tries to put Kareem in a box, he shows you, you cannot control Kareem. Years ago, a while back, he made some comments about the NBA favoring white players and stuff like that. And the NBA was kind of like, instead of doing the right thing and saying, no, that's not what we're doing. They're like, oh, Kareem's just a racist. And then he pushed back really hard against that. I mean, Kareem 
He's been an actor. He's been a writer. He's working on a book, another book right now. The guy can do whatever he wants. Did I know that he loves Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Yeah, I mean, it's no. not, not only is he <laughs> writing a comic book about Minecraft Holmes, he is something of an expert I on had, the Sherlock Holmes mythos. I had no clue. I follow Kareem on Twitter and I've never heard him mention anything about Sherlock Holmes. I'm definitely going to give this a read. He's a very intelligent guy and I know he's a good writer. So let's do it. I don't know. <laughs> According to the Hollywood Reporter, the book is called Mycroft Holmes and the Apocalypse Handbook. And the series will be five issues published by Titan Comics, co-written with Raymond Obstfeld, who I think played um, left wing for the uh, 76ers. Left wing. Left wing. He was the left winger. Oh, was he on the 76ers hockey or soccer team? Yeah. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> you know that I know that was wrong, right? Come on. Okay. <laughs> the art will be by Joshua Kassara. This isn't the first time Abdul Jabbar adapted a Sherlock story. He previously wrote Mycroft Holmes, which was about Sherlock's brother's younger years. And while Mycroft may not be as well known as Sherlock, his character has been featured in a number of adaptations, most famously Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes films. Uh, played by Stephen Fry in those movies. Yes, he was great. And in Benedict Cumberbitch's Sherlock series, played by Mark Gaddis, series co-creator. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, occasional Doctor Who uh, episode writer. And Mark possibly Gattis. the only man who looks even more British than Cumberbatch. Yes, but in a less handsome way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, like... <laughs> The series- Severely and profoundly British, as <laughs> right. we call it. The series is going to follow the Elder Holmes as he travels the world on a mission from the British government to stop a madman intent on utilizing seemingly impossible technology to destroy civilization and disrespect Queen Victoria in the process. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, hell no. Abdul Jabbar is going to go up and just knock that ball right out of your hands, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Mycroft Holmes and the Apocalypse Handbook is available on August 3rd, my birthday. Hey, happy birthday to you. Sincerely, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes! <laughs> if that wasn't so long, that should be our title. <laughs> no, the title of the episode is Minecraft Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> Sherlock's big bro, Minecraft Holmes. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed. There was a lot, too. There was. Hit us up in the big news section of the THN forums where we have posted links to our Minecraft world where Joe and I have spent countless hours mining wood and stone to recreate the forum in Inglewood, California, circa 1988 for Game 7, Detroit Pistons. Los Angeles Lakers, where the Lakers, in a last-minute court-long pass, scored two points to squeak ahead of the Pistons, 108-105, winning the series 4-3. Every Sunday, the Moses Malone to my Dr. J, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week at the coolest place on the internet, the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking these nerds this week? This week's question comes from... Harvey Locust. He screamed in my car window the other day. I almost shot him. (laughs) (laughs) Scared the hell out of me. It would have been last week's question, but the question is, it's summertime and nerds around the world are rolling up their sleeves to get some ink. This week, Harv wants to know about your nerdy slash comic tattoos. If you have some, what are they? Where on your body are they? And when did you get them? And if you have future plans for more tattoos, let's hear about those too. Cool. Cool. I just got mine. I have no answer for this question. I got mine worked on this week. I'll talk about it next week. All right. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, May 27th. To get us your answer, you can call our Ziggurat hotline at 402-819-4894. Leave us a message. If you're not too busy rubbing goop on your new ink, you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But you got to keep it under two minutes. You're going to get cut off, damn it. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums, and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. D Murray points out, go to the THN forums. We are in the final four of the THN superhero event bracket challenge. Oh man, man, man. D who are they? Reset our final four D. Uh, it's death of Superman versus blackest night. Okay. And on the other side, we've got 
52 versus DC 1 million. Ooh. What a matchup. Ooh. Go to the two-headed nerd forums. That's thnforums.boards.net and vote for the final four. I just voted. Not telling you who I voted for you. Getting good. You have to go there and look. It's review time in the ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Then if they're extra specially good, we promise to buy them frozen cokes when we take them to the see the Angry Birds movie. Yeah. If they're only if they're good. Only if they're good. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I was goaded into reviewing Future Quest, you number one. You weren't goaded. So you could review Civil War Zero. <laughs> I have very strong feelings about it. This comes from DC. It's written by Jeff Parker with art by Evan Doc Shaner and Steve the Dude Rude. What a crew. 40 pages for $3.99. That's a pretty good deal for DC. A lot of times. Yeah, yeah. 40 pages for $3.99. We're going to talk about that in just a couple seconds. We'll get there. <laughs> Not too long ago, DC, the kings of the reboot, announced its intentions to reboot the Hanna-Barbera universe, starting with a mix of its superheroes. What earth is this taking place on? Is this part of the multiverse? We may never know. Who gives a What we do know, the team that reinvigorated Flash Gordon for Dynamite is now taking Johnny Quest, the Herculoids, Space Ghost, Birdman and, and the more the mighty Samson and smashing them all into one gigantic story. It's mighty my tour, dude. Parker doesn't waste any time. Captain with- Caveman. He's going to be in the Mad Max wacky racers. Yeah, okay, good. Parker doesn't waste any time with any explanations here. He shows us the last stand of the intergalactic space force in their final push against an evil force named Omnicron. Now, any Hanna-Barbera fan worth their salt knows that's who Space Ghost worked for yeah. before everything went south. From there... We- real real quick, the Omnicron or whatever is very, very, very heavily patterned after, if not cribbed directly from uh, the creature that Darwin Cook had the superheroes face in DC The New Frontier. I did not make that connection, but you're absolutely right. Yep. Uh, And in fact, Darwin Cook did uh, character redesigns for all the characters in the book. That is so cool. We'll talk about that later. From there, we flash across the universe to Earth, where Johnny and Haji are streaking through the skies above the Florida Everglades in search of vortices that have been appearing in the area. Uh, It's vortexes. I don't think that's right. Of course, Race and Bandit aren't far behind and a helicopter helping to track the phenomenon, working in tandem with Dr. Benton Quest. We then meet Special Agent Ray Randall, who is also known as Birdman, and his partner, Diva Sumati, who have been sent to meet Dr. Quest in his remote laboratory. There's an appearance of Quest's nemesis, Dr. Zinn, and even his one-eyed spider robots. This is a story that could have easily been jumbled into a mess of characters in new modern extreme versions. Instead, Parker, Shaner, Rude, and colorist extraordinaire, Jordi Belair perfectly capture the look and feel of the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons right down to the designs of the characters as created by Alex Toth. And let me tell you, it doesn't hurt that both Shanier and Rude are huge Toth fans and came directly out of the school of Alex Toth. I believe the term is total Toth heads. Tothian. Rather than making a new, darker, modern Hanna-Barbera U, the creative team celebrates the characters in their own voices and a story worthy of the old cartoons. This was more fun than I've had with a DC comic for years, and I honestly hope people support it. Go buy this for Birdman, for Space Ghost, for Xandar, but I will say, if Tundro is dead, we riot. I know. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's like bullshit. I didn't even know I cared that much about Tundro until they were like, he's dead. I was like, no, he's not. (laughs) I really loved this comic. I thought it was wonderful. It was too much fun. It really was. And, And honestly, because it didn't change a thing. This felt like you were watching an episode of Birdman or Johnny Quest or the Herculoids. Herculoids, yeah. It was just too much fun, man. It's like you said, I'm just so thrilled that they resisted whatever darker impulses might be lurking in the hallways at DC. Like Johnny Quest has a shaved head and a tattoo. Right. It was was just so pure and good and true to the spirit of these characters and not in a dated way. No. It was just, it embraced it and it was goofy and fun and I loved it. It's a huge buy Haji's still wearing his head wrap and stuff and like, oh. My one complaint, and it's not even really a complaint, it's just a remark. Okay. 
Steve Rude steps in and does a number of pages right. in the book, and that's great. Uh, both artists are amazingly talented, and I'm happy to have them both. But the transition from Shaner to Rude and then back to Shaner, it didn't make sense. I dis- it was like in mid scene. I disagree. I I think these two work together really well. It's not that they don't work together no. or that the styles don't mash. It's yeah. that it happened like in like. I think the only reason in mid-scene I noticed of, it yeah. is because I love Shaner and I'm a huge Steve Root fan. So the second Steve Root starts drawing, I was like, okay, that's Steve Root. Right. But I don't know if you would notice it if you didn't really know both these guys, honestly. I think their styles yeah. are similar enough that it worked really well. Sure. I mean, I, I just, it would have made more sense to me if they'd waited for like the end of one scene. Right. And or then it, Steve Root does the next 10 pages. Or something like that. Yeah. Okay. But I mean- it was gorgeous. Yeah, I love it. It really was. And so it wasn't a detraction. It was just like a weird thing. Okay. Joe Patrick, you had strong feelings about this one. I had feelings of, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> Civil War 2, number zero, is my review for this week from Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Olivier Quapel. It's 40 pages, just like Future Quest, for four ninety nine. Hmm. I think that's three dollars more. It's definitely more. <laughs> Here's your completely unhelpful solicit from the creative team that brought you. I just want. I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm okay. making a point. Okay. From the creative team that brought you House of M and Siege comes a blistering first chapter in Marvel's new explosive event. Watch as players are introduced and the table is set for a storyline that fans will be talking about for years. Maybe. They certainly (laughs) make a big deal of it. With a creative team like Bendis and Quapel, you know that there's going to be a baseline level of quality that you can probably expect. Right. And I thought Civil War 2, number zero, delivered on that and and more. The issue opens with Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, defending the Jester from being convicted for a crime he didn't commit. Meanwhile, the president has an intriguing proposition for Jim, War Machine Rhodes. Captain Marvel confides her fears to Doc Samson, who is definitely not dead, even though they all think he should be dead, even in the comic. (laughs) I was thrilled to see him back. Uh, Me too. He looked great. And the Terrigen Cloud, unleashed way back in Infinity, finally hits the Midwest. This issue does a fine job setting up the chessboard and adding all the pieces She-Hulk and Captain Marvel represent the two moral stances that will inform the story, which is whether or not knowledge of future events should be used to stop crises before they happen, despite the cost to civil liberties. Basically, it's a minority report with superheroes. Got it. Well, it will be. Sort of. Yeah, right. It will be. Bendis makes a strong case for both sides with his script and Olivier Coppel's art is nothing short of stunning. I mean, what more can you actually say about yeah, this guy? Yeah, and he's at the top of his game, too. This is some of the best stuff I think we've seen from him. It's like when we kind of had to tell ourselves, let's stop reviewing issues of Chris Somney and Mark Wade's Daredevil. Right. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Unless one just really <laughs> the bed. What's the point? <laughs> yeah. All right, now that the pleasantries are out of the way, let's get real about it. The free comic book day book by Bendis and Jim Chung, as lovely as it was, showed a very important portion of the story that doesn't take place until after this issue. So it wasn't a prelude at all, but it was a really beautifully drawn series of spoilers. And if you read that comic, there are some scenes in this comic that are rendered effectively meaningless, especially with regards to Rhodey. Okay. You didn't read the free comic book day I special. I did not. Yo, I'm not going to tell I'll you what's going on. I'll discuss that when I get to my yeah. part. This issue actually sets up the story and presents the stances of the opposing sides. It's a much better setup than the free comic book day issue, which was just action, action, action. Consider what happens when the series gets to the part of the story that was contained in that special. It's way too important for them to just gloss over it, which means that it's either going to be just reprinted or it'll be retold by this creative team. Why? Civil War Zero actually gets to the heart of what the story is about, and it sets the stage for the inevitable conflict. This book should have been the free comic book day special, but I guess it doesn't have enough punching for the marketing department who wrote that garbage solicit. Also, this comic book is five bucks for 40 pages. 
you might be thinking that's not so bad considering that a regular 32 page comic from Marvel would be three ninety nine. However, this thing is only 19 pages of story plus a recap page. Yes. Yes. Four of those pages are lovely double page spreads. So technically it bumps up the page count to 23, but that seems like a hefty price to pay for a book. That's all set up and no I push. I don't disagree with you at all there. This is a gorgeous, well-written comic. It does a great job presenting both sides of the coming conflict in a sympathetic way. Unlike with Iron Man in the original Civil War, I can actually see why Captain Marvel feels the way she feels and why she would want to deter future attacks despite the dangerous cost. But I can't honestly say that the content of this issue justifies the cost of the comic, especially since we just had a huge event Taylor made for hooking new readers, and this issue would have been a much better showcase for what's to come in the story. So I'm giving Civil War II a skim it. Okay. Like you said, I didn't read the free comic book day yeah. Civil War thing. By the time I got there, it was gone. So right. I don't have a problem with them putting a bunch of action and punching in their free comic book day thing because they're trying to rope a dope in people I, that I are get not it. you and me. I mean, I get the marketing behind it. I get it. And I think had they put this out as their free comic book day version, people would have been like, well, it was kind of boring and nothing really happened. With that said, I thought it was very well written and I loved it. It was beautiful to look at, but I don't know if this would be the book to hand out to people but Marvel, to hook you on Civil War. But Marvel put out like three books. I get it. Like, and let this one be the setup for Civil War. I get it. And, if and then you've got the Captain America one that's all about the punching with I, the Spider-Man back. I agree with the price and I see what you're saying. I thought it was so well done, though, to set up the event that I am very excited about it. And I really like what they laid out with Rhodey. I really like what they laid out with uh, Samson and Carol Danvers. That was fantastic. I like how they're gently going at this. And it's not just like, I think we should do this. You're an idiot. Let's fight. You know, like they're going to build. Right. (laughs) Obviously. But see, I have read the free comic book day special. So what's your review? I am going to give it a skim it because I'm upset about the price and the page count. But I do think it was a very good setup, a good story. It's a great comic. And a wonderful creative team. It's absolutely a great comic. I just don't think it's worth it. And I think it was marketed very poorly. Okay. So that is a double buy it for Future Quest number one and a double skim it for Civil War 2-0. Now it's time for you rebooted cartoon characters and arguing heroes to play Critic. So head over to the THN forums at thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of these comics. And if you need more reviews of this week's comics, go to twoheadednerd.com. There you'll find Mr. Is he just 1A or 2? Is he A.A. Ron? He's A.A. Ron. A.A. Ron Myers Ludicrous Speed Reviews. But he covers a bunch more stuff in ludicrous fashion. The NBA playoffs are upon us, and since Matt is the sports guy in this relationship, I can only assume his St. Louis Blues aren't having a great run in the NHL playoffs. I'd rather not talk about it. There's been some criticism of the Cavaliers-Raptors series, so Matt and I have decided to switch out the Toronto Raptors with the trained Raptors from the last Jurassic Park movie to spice up the game a little. Sure, they can't shoot thanks to those vestigial little dino arms, but you should see how their talons and teeth tear into a point guard. (laughs) So join us as King LeBron runs from a formerly extinct apex predator while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Go! Sudden Bastards, number 14, from Image Comics. I recently got all caught up on Jason's, Aaron, and Latour's Southern Bastards, just in time for a new issue. The daughter of Earl Tubbs has come home from Afghanistan and is headed back to Craw County, Alabama, to deal with the mess her father left behind. What a mean, nasty, cruel, tragic, wonderful book this is. Jason Aaron's story is incredibly compelling, and Latour's art is the perfect complement. The art borders on upsetting. Yeah. Which totally works, and that is a compliment. I am so glad to be finally on board the Southern Bastards Express. Huge buy it. I was never off it. It is wonderful. Lumberjanes making the ghost of it. Get 2016 it? special from Get Kaboom. It. While the original creative team isn't here, writers Jen Wang and Kelly Thompson capture all of the fun of the original series. The story is perfectly suitable for all ages and just feels like something a cool mom should be reading to her little girl. Lumberjanes continues to be an important female first 
funny and adventurous title month after month. I'm giving this a huge buy it. There were four stories in it. It was all fun. Buy it, buy it, buy it. May. M-A-E, that is. Number one from Dark Horse. Gene Ha pulls double duty as writer and artist in this new creator-owned series about a girl whose long-lost sister returns after eight years of adventuring in a fantasy world of magic and monsters. And this time, the monsters have followed her home. Think Flight of the Navigator meets the Wizard of Oz, but from the sibling's perspective. Huh. All right. Ha is doing something different with his art using soft shading instead of solid lines to create shapes. And I have to admit, it takes a little getting used to, but come on, it's Gene Ha. I love Gene Ha. This book is stunning, and the premise is really fun. And though there are some moments of awkward dialogue here and there, the writing ain't half bad either. I'm looking forward to more of May. Buy it! Chum! Number one from Comics Tribe. If you've been waiting for the crime noir genre to find its way onto the beaches of Hawaii in a surfing-centric story... Look no further, brah. Writer Ryan Lindsay spins the story, Super Shaka, spins the story of a hot redheaded restaurant manager who's about to be the ex-wife of a local cop while she's been stupping with a local drug dealer. Oh. Sammy Cavella's art was pretty good here, but the script felt a little too smart and noir and forced. There's a lot going on for what I presume is a crime story on a Hawaiian island, and I'm just not sure if surfing and crime noir work together. Giving Chum number one a skimmit wasn't bad, but felt like a stretch. I'll say that. Archangel, number one, from IDW. Sci-fi writer William Gibson makes his first foray into comics with a tale about a corrupt government sending operatives to the past in order to ensure their rise to power in the future. It reminded me a little of the plot of Jonathan Hickman's Pax Romana, if you remember that book. I love that book. But with a World War II spin... Gibson is joined by comic veterans Butch Geis and Tom Palmer, so the book looks great. I've never read anything by William Gibson before, but I thought this story was really cool. I'm definitely on board to see where this book goes. Archangel number one gets a buy it. Alan Dracon, number one from Amigo. This actually came out last week, but it stuck with me, so I decided to talk about it. Alan Dracon, or Dracon, is a bodyguard with an ugly special forces background, living in the near future where high-tech industrial moguls and actually dangerous genetically modified organisms are after a corporate dame. Written and drawn by Stefano Martino, I had fun with this story and couldn't help but draw correlations to the 1992 Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston film, The Bodyguard. Also, what, what with all the highly dangerous genetically modified organisms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, there's a monster that looks suspiciously like Fin Fang Foom here, which is practically begging Matt Bomb to praise your book. So, Alan Dracon, or Dracon, gets a buy it. Brutal Nature, number one from IDW. Brutal Nature is IDW's latest creator-owned title, telling the story of one of Colombia's indigenous people using a set of magical masks to transform into different creatures in order to battle the invading Spanish Empire. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the story by Luciano Saracino is very straightforward, and the book is well-written, but there was a scene at the end introducing the book's main antagonist where I had no idea what was going on. Ariel Olivetti is on art duties here, and I've been a longtime fan. But while his figure drawing and layouts are beautiful, he's got this tendency to utilize backgrounds that are way too photorealistic. He's still doing this crap. Like, they are so realistic. They're just pictures. I can't tell if they're actually photographs yeah. or if he's just really good at tracing photographs. I think it just makes his art look silly. He's the Greg Land of background art. I enjoyed the story and the art mostly, but there's just enough that I didn't like to keep me from giving it a full recommendation. I'm giving Brutal Nature number one a skim it. The Biggest Bang number one from IDW. Okay. This was first a comic book called the, big, big, the Bigger Bang. The Bigger Bang. Which we reviewed on the show. I reviewed one of them. On the yes. Show. And I believe we both liked it. It was weird as hell. The art is goofy. Super goofy. I can only imagine The Biggest Bang started out as writer DJ Kirkbride's homage to Jack Kirby's cosmic characters of the 70s. He's part Quasar, he's part Supreme, and all cosmically powered badass. Or at least he was until he started sharing his powers with another, a lovely green-skinned three-eyed lady. Oh, yeah. That he's also fallen for. But their cosmic powers repel each other's touch. Oh, that's so sad. Vasilis 
Godzilla. Yes, we made the same joke. <laughs> goes insane all over the page with his Bill Sienkiewicz loose penciling style. There were times I could barely follow the art, but I loved it. <laughs> Turn on your favorite Tangerine Dream album, light up your Silver Surfer Blacklight poster, spark a doobie, and go buy Biggest Bang number one. It was nutso. Tank Girl, two girls, one tank, number one from Titan, and the winner for most tasteless comic title goes to... Do you know how carefully I had to Google that? So dumb. I don't think that I've ever read any Tank Girl comics before today. Of course, it's Joe. Believe it or not. Haven't read it, Patrick. And I found myself kind of puzzled by this one. I always thought that Tank Girl had a post-apocalyptic premise, like a comedy version of Mad Max. But this world has functioning cities with art galleries and parking garages and apartment buildings and a fully functioning news media. But then it also has a weird cowboy towns and remote settlements where shady businessmen traffic in decaffeinated coffee. The story from Alan Martin was also much more straightforward than I thought it would be. None of that is a complaint. It just wasn't what I was expecting. What the issue did have was a fun, cheeky story about Tank Girl's tank getting lost in a poker game and her quest to steal enough money to replace it. But what's this? There's another Tank Girl out there. Man, it's like when someone wears the same dress to the red carpet. I know. (laughs) The art by Brett Parson, who also handled the lettering, is really wonderful. It's a good-looking comic. I don't know if this is the book that's going to get me into Tank Girl after being indifferent about it for so long. But this was a really pleasant surprise. I'm giving Tank Girl, colon, two girls, one tank. Number one, a strong skim it. Please don't Google that title. You'll get in trouble with your mom. EXO <laughs> Manowar 2016 Annual from Valiant. Pay attention, Joe. If you, like Joe, lost track of EXO Manowar years ago, here's your chance to get brought back up to speed just in time for the latest storyline. The annual starts with a brief reset of Arc of Dacius' origin, then shifts to a story from his childhood. From there, we get a story of Trill, a guard in a floating prison with a secret history she's about to discover with the help of a Syot prisoner. And then, a story of the aliens that created Exo Manowar, the Vine, and their plot to invade Hollywood, which picks up in the new Faith series. Really, really fun stuff. Like the other Valiant annuals, this one is packed with great art and stories from their amazing stable of creators, don't be like Joe, kids. Get to your local comic book shop and pick up this latest XO annual and buy it. Don't be like me. Don't do it. Braff. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round and braff. I didn't picture it sounded like that. Is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Cosmos taking laser blasts from two attacking ships to save his partner as seen in The Biggest Bang number one. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we've finally finished our own Cerebro unit using some plans we found on Reddit. Unlike the real Cerebro, we made a few minor tweaks that will allow us to contact mutants from beyond the grave. Joe, I seem to be picking up what sounds like a drunk Irishman arguing with a Native American. Why, it's beloved ex-Banshee Sean Cassidy and token Native American James Proudstar Thunderbird arguing about plot holes in the new X movie. No spoilers! All right, all right, all right! You big baby. While I listen in, though, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? Speaking of things that we saw on Reddit and probably shouldn't have, <laughs> our collective pick for next week, I think it's safe to say, is the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot from DC Comics. It's written by Jeff Johns. It's got art by Gary Frank, Phil Jimenez, Ethan Van Skyver. I think that's about it. It's oh, there's got to be more than that. I'm sure there is. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of people involved. Okay. It's 80 pages. Guess the price. $80. It, if Civil War II was 5 bucks for 40 pages. Okay. So if we do that math, if I take 40 into... And then Cyrus, uh, I'm gonna say this costs nineteen dollars. It's two ninety nine. What? I yeah. can't even do that math. My God. Here's your solicit. It all begins here. Don't look at Reddit. Don't go online. <laughs> look, I'm just gonna save this solicit for you. Don't go online. Don't go to Reddit. Don't go to Newsarama. Don't go to IGN. Don't go to anywhere, even the reputable sites. And don't say we didn't warn you. Just stay off the internet because it had, the rebirth 
has been rebirthed. It's out there. <laughs> it's out there in the universe. Yep, there's placenta all over the place. Afterbirth everywhere. Ugh. And I'm going to tell you what. I am feeling some feelings. Next week, Matt and I are going to talk about it. We're going to read the comic when it actually comes out. We're going to sit down. We're going to serve up the placenta. We're going to eat it on the internet in front of you guys. It's going to be one Gross. big rebirth review where we cut it all to pieces and figure out where the hell we're at. Man, we're going to lick it, slap it, and rub it down. Oh, no. <laughs> the THN trade of the week goes to Disquiet, the graphic novel from Fantagraphics by Noah Van Skyver. Fun fact. I did not think they were related, but Noah Van Skyver is the younger brother of Ethan Van Skyver. Oh, so I can't even make that joke. That sucks. They're actually related. They're actually related. <laughs> it sucks. This book is 128 pages for 19.99, but it's a graphic novel. Sure. Not a bad deal. Here's the solicit. Following the success of Van Skyver's last graphic novel, Fante Bukowski, Fantagraphics proudly presents Disquiet, which showcases the best of Noah Van Skyver's short work, including... The Death of Elijah Lovejoy, The Lizard Who Laughed, and Punk's V Lizards, a darkly comic work that blends quadrophenia with Jurassic Park. It's <laughs> the combination we've all been waiting for. Plus more. You got your quadrophenia in my Jurassic Park. <laughs> so here's the thing about this book. You're I have never. To say you got your Jurassic Park in my quadrophenia. Oh, sorry. Ha, you... ha, ha. Forget it. You ruined it. I'm sorry. <laughs> here's the thing about Noah Van Skyver and why I picked this book. I picked this book. Because I've never read any of his stuff. At the time, I had never read any of his stuff. Okay. But I'd heard of him. I'd heard of Noah Van Skyver and that he was this up-and-coming indie cartoonist with a lot of buzz behind him. And I was like, oh, we should check it out. And when I went to go look it up, and I spent the next three hours reading single-page Noah Van Skyver comic strips that I found on the internet. So it's good stuff. So, yeah. I like I went and I looked it up and I'm like, I was just immediately sucked into it. Their art style is not similar at all, is it? No, no, no. This okay. is very like... What about their politics? <laughs> uh, come on. Separate the man from the art. Come on. Um, come on. But you know what that's saying? I don't know if that always applies in every case. It's but, true. Uh, I, Noah Van Skyver dresses like a Portland hipster, so I'm guessing it's probably just as different as his art it's style. Family hippie. Yeah. There we go. Uh, it's kind of a Peter Baggy-esque, not realistic, but... Okay. You know what I mean? Very exaggerated, cartoony, but right. also like uh, not quite deformed, but also not kind of ugly. I gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, but it's really good. I was uh, I found the comics, the diary comics, very compelling. OK. I went from being curious to eager. All right. That's a one step above curious. Sure is. Special thanks to the Redditor that posted those Cerebro plans. Man. It's good to know our fallen ex-heroes in Exhala, which is where they go when they die, got a special screening. They get their own Valhalla? Yeah, man. Valkyrie Storm takes them there. They got their own special screening of the movie, but man, they didn't have much good to say about it. Neither does Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. <laughs> some of the early reviews are not good. Nope. I guess we'll find out for ourselves when we post another segment of the THN Nerd at the Movies on our YouTube channel with our review of X-Men Apocalypse next week. In the meantime, you can see our review of Cap Civil War on our YouTube channel right friggin' now. And when you're done with that, head over to the THN forums and tell us what you think we should be reading next week. The first shots of the Marvel Civil War 2 event were sort of fired this week. Kind of. So we decided to bring you guys up to speed on all of Marvel's Civil War history and the subtle differences of the latest Cap Civil War movie with a little help from our very own Ken Burns, Mrs. Casey Baum. That's right, it's time to play Casey Explains It All, colon, Civil War Edition. Hello, listeners. <laughs> this is Casey Explains It All, and today we're going to talk about the subtle differences between Civil War, the comics, and then the Civil War movie, and I've had drinks. <laughs> Yay! Hacha! <laughs> let's talk Civil War. So let, let's go into the comic book first. Okay. So I read all seven of these, and <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I think I like the movie better than the comic. That's fine. They're, Is that fine? Yeah, no, of course. Because let me tell you, as not a comic reader. As not a comic reader. Specifically, Fact? not a comic reader. <laughs> yes. Um, I was very confused because there was lots of peoples. <laughs> peoples, plural. Not people, but peoples. <laughs> lots of peoples. 
that I had no idea who they were and they were all here. And all I was looking for was Bucky and there was no Bucky. There was no Bucky. And I died inside because Bucky's my favorite. I know that I know that you well. I feel and like, Falcon. To be fair, I feel like Sebastian Stan is your favorite. I mean, OK, but Falcon's my favorite, too. He's great. Sam Wilson's great. But Sam Wilson is there. But also probably Anthony Mackie's my favorite. See, yeah. I'm basing this just on movie alone. Well, because you don't read the comics. That's I why. don't. I don't. But so neither of them are there. So, OK, so let's like backstory. You had okay. me watch both Avengers movies. Yes. To catch up because I fell asleep during the first one because too drunk. <laughs> and then the second one just meh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see. So Loki's my dude. Right. So I was really bummed. No Loki. Well, but this is not a Loki type story. Okay. Anyhow. So I got all invested in all this. And like after the watching the Avengers movie, I was heavy into Thor, surprisingly, because I haven't watched any of these movies. So when I read this comic book. So when I read this comic book, I was really surprised to not see anyone basically that I saw in these movies. So the So, okay. So comic book. What happens is. These young superhero type guys are filming a reality show. The New Warriors. New Warriors, who I have no clue who these people are. Joe Patrick's favorite. Oh, of course they are. They're like The Bachelor. He loves that. They're filming this reality show for ratings. They decide to do the stunt thingy and they like end up blowing up Stamford, Connecticut, right? Correct. Right. Okay. So mass destruction, like 600 people die. Big thing. I think it was more than 600. Oh my God, I just burped on this microphone. No, it's okay. You're drunk. I understand. <laughs> I just snorted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in the movie, they had like the Slovakia, Slovakia, Sokovia. Sokovia. <laughs> so in the movie, they have the whole like destruction of Slovakia. So it's like, that's the parallel there. This one's the US, this one's this. So anyway, mass destruction of ton people die that are civilians and innocent and so the world is all like uh should these people be doing this because they are making happen and it's bad and they're killing people innocent people so and so that's like a, a similar parallel i get that so this fast forwards us to civil war so this happens and so the avengers are like oh man you know we're killing innocent people there maybe should be some regulations this is a comic book. So Tony. It's, it's also the movie. Yeah. yeah, It's also a movie, but you told me talked about the comic book first. Okay. Okay. So like this happens and they're like, we need regulations, blah, blah, blah. But before they do that, um, there's like, oh, I guess in the movie too, there's like talk about it, but like nothing going forward about it. So somehow the Avengers fight each other again for, I don't really remember why Tony Stark versus Steve Rogers fight again. And something happens. Well, in both the movie and the comics, Tony is on the side yeah, yeah, but bef- of registration saying we need to work with the government. Right. right. But before and- that major fight in the movie, I feel like in the comics, Steve Rogers and Tony fight and Goliath gets killed by super Thor clone Thor clone Thor. <laughs> so apparently I missed out something in it's not super Goliath. It's black Goliath. <laughs> Whatever. The not black the dude. The point being, one, Thor is dead and now there's a clone. Whole thing. I don't even want to know. Don't care. Yeah. Don't care. Whole nother Because it's not Loki. No given. So this thing happens. Goliath dies. And so in the comic book, that's what like prompts the quote unquote civil war. That's what like they go to this Goliath funeral and Tony's going to the funeral and everyone's going to this funeral of Goliath and this Miriam woman, Alfrey Woodward, Woodward. Whoa. <laughs> well, it was really the new warriors thing. That's what did it. I mean, yeah, but no, Goliath didn't die in the new warriors thing. He no, died. that, but that happened later when they started actually fighting. Right. Okay. Point being Goliath dies, Tony Stark, all these guys are going to this funeral. This Miriam sharp woman, Accost Tony Stark at the funeral, and she's like, "Mother, I don't know if she accosted him. <laughs> that might be strong." <laughs> she stepped up to the plate. Okay, she stepped up. I'll give you that. She yeah, stepped up and comes at him and's like, "My son Damien died. He was an innocent child. You are responsible." Spit slap. I think she spit on him. I I don't recall if she spit on. She him. spit on him. Okay, All right. I just read it the other night. She spit in the movie. 
after Stark does this like virtual reality stuff about going back to the day where his parents died and not saying goodbye to his dad or something, he goes to the elevator and he meets Alfre Woodry and she's like, my son was in Slovakia. Sokovia. Sokovia. <laughs> and she's like, he was there and he's a good kid and he's on a mission trip and he died. So it parallels there. Yes. So there's a kid that dies that like ignites a fire in right. Stark. Right. That makes him be like, you know what? We need regulations. We need this shit to happen. Like we're out of control. We need to meet and do this. So, I mean, similarities. Very similar yeah. there. Yes. So, so that's like, that's what happens. So basically like the movie and the comic, it's Stark is like, we need regulations. And, um, Captain America is like, no, the government can't control us. Can I tell you, Steve Rogers is a little f-ing bitch. <laughs> okay. I'm taking that away from uh, that. Can you, can you expound on that or? Oh, I shall. Please. Okay. Before we get into anything more, I'd like to, I'd like you to explain why you think Captain America was a bitch about that. Because I, I'll be honest with you. I feel like the greater comic book audience and myself agrees with Steve Rogers. Why? (laughs) Well, because government oversight is not always the best. And like he said, who gets to decide what they get to do? And for instance, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man gets kicked out of. Yes. And in the comics, he signs on with Tony Stark and then goes. Yeah. And like, and he says, all right, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to out myself and I'm going to let everyone know who I am. And his whole family gets attacked and like. Oh, that wasn't in the comics that his family gets attacked. Well, you didn't read that part because you didn't read all the all the extras. There was 110 issues that tied into that story. 110. I made you read seven. Okay. <laughs> the point being, it didn't turn out well for Spider-Man. I think I'm on side, like, okay. Comic side, I'm on side Stark. Movie side, I'm always team Bucky. Is he a team? Because I'm on his team. <laughs> He's a team later. Oh, good. I'm very concerned about him. That's the whole thing. We'll get to him in a minute. Can we like, I just want to talk about Bucky forever, but back to the comic. Here's what I have next in my notes because you made me take notes. So we have this whole thing like after this death of this Damien kid, Tony Stark's like regulation in Steve Rogers is like no government. But it wasn't just Tony Stark. It was also Reed Richards. Okay, so here's the deal. As I previously have stated, do not read comics. Do not know who half of these people are. Understand. I understand the Fantastic Four. You know that Reed Richards and Tony Stark are probably. He's Stretch Man. Yes. <laughs> He's Mr. Fantastic. But yeah. they are arguably the two smartest guys He's in the Marvel crazy Universe. crazy smart. Yeah. they. Him and Tony are probably the two smartest guys in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Didn't know that. I mean, isn't like Doctor Strange crazy smart too? I mean, yes, but he's more of a magician. He's doing his own thing. You yeah. Know? These are the science guys. Okay, okay. These are the guys that, so, and like then, Tony's a futurist and Reed is an inventor on a whole so, other level. Okay, so on Stark team- Let's just like go through this on comic stock Stark team. You have um, uh, Tony Stark. <laughs> okay. Iron Man. <laughs> and then they have, like, who is this guy? Robert Downey Jr. Then you have Reed Richards, stretch man. Okay. Mr. Fantastic uh-huh. is his name. Then at first you have Spider-Man. Yes. Who I will say his dialogue in the comics is super fun. And it, I can see it. It's trans- wonderful. It translated really well to screen. Yeah, it's wonderful. like I felt like the tone was really appropriate. Yes. That's like the most sober thing I'm going to say tonight. Nope. Okay. So let's go with that. <laughs> um, and then he if you want to hear the full um, Casey explains it all Civil War edition, head over to our Tumblr. I'm going to warn you only the first half that I put on the show is edited. The rest it's not safe for work, but it is pretty funny. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Twas the Night Before the Expocalypse episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that draw their extreme show ideas from 1990s crossovers, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or just about anywhere else you can find quality podcasts. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts, because it helps us to get right up in the face of other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. You are the only reason we were able to get Matt the treatment he needed after Apocalypse made him the horseman of internet porn addiction. I'm feeling much better now. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. To become a sustaining member, simply check the Make This Donation monthly box when you donate. 
Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, like no one else, <laughs> shoot us an email with a subject line sponsorship. D. Murray, I appreciate your support. I do too. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline. That number is 402-819-4894. That's just how they used to do it when you would dial like 411 information. Like, yeah. I need the number for whatever. And don't forget to use that number to answer the question of the week. But that's not all. You can use that number to interact with any one of our different show segments. Do it. We want you on this show. We want you on the show. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. That's B-A-U-M. You'll find me. I think my username is Yobo Fofas, and I have a little Mexican wrestler face. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Wooly Toots, who stepped in for the 10th time. I think that's X in Roman numerals. Yeah. When Joe was feeding the poor children Pokemon sketches on free comic book day. Where do you toots? It's true. Thanks for always being there to save our bacon. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might throw your fat into the fryer. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Bacon, 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 bacon.